You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all. Something interesting is, as Vivian was praying, she prayed about my mind, emotion, and will. And that's part of what I'm going to talk about this morning. That's your soul. And one of the songs they sang came from Isaiah 40, which is also one of the my reference verses this morning that we put up on the screen. So I would assume the Lord wants to talk to us. That was what I would assume, that, that he wants to communicate to us this morning. Um, being a believer is not a method, but it's an organic lifestyle. It's an organic lifestyle. It's, it's learning to live connected to Jesus. And so that's what we've been looking at following Jesus. And this morning I've been thinking about the idea of what it means to trust the Lord, learning to trust. Um, we've been focusing on spiritual formation really for the better part of this year. Uh, developing, strengthening our spiritual lives as we, as we follow the Lord. And one of the primary ingredients in a strong faith life is trust, the ability to trust God. And there is, uh, a problem with that. We, we don't come out of the womb trusting God. It's really something we learn. It's a learned, um, experience. Um, So I want us to consider a piece of wisdom, a foundational piece of wisdom from the book of Proverbs this morning as we start out. And it's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and we'll probably end with this proverb today as well. But it says, trust in the Lord. You want to read this with me? It's powerful. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he shall direct your path. I actually have a note here. I wrote, trusting God is without a doubt essential. And then I started laughing at myself. Trusting God is without a doubt. (laughs) Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Uh, But it's essential if we're going to be successful followers of Jesus. But trust Trusting is a bit tricky. We don't automatically trust God because trust is really something that's built or even earned. Um, that's why it's so essential that we follow Jesus, continue to do that no matter what happens so we can give him an honest opportunity to prove himself to us. I want to revisit a scripture that we focused on a while back, and we find it in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. And it comes from the message translation. And actually, I think David Valier referenced this verse last week. And I have a feeling the Lord really uh, wants us to hear this. And it's also part of an entire series of messages we've done in in the earlier part of the year. But here it is. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Jesus's words. Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. 
I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And I believe that's one of the uh, parts of this verse David emphasized last week. Was that right, David? Learn. Just say that word, learn. To learn something means you don't know it yet, just to be so simple. But we need to pay attention to that. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Jesus goes on to say, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And so Jesus makes some pretty bold promises those uh, to those who continue to follow him. He promises that we can recover life, that he will give us rest, real heart, soul rest. If we continue on to know him intimately, we'll learn from him what he called here the unforced rhythms of grace. Jesus says, keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and rightly. So those are amazing promises. And here's a great assumption. Who's ready for just a massive assumption? Let's assume that Jesus knows what he's talking about. Let's just assume that. If we assume that, if we're lacking in any of these areas, could it be that we have more to learn from him than we've learned so far? How many of you can take this trip with me? How many of us can agree we have more to learn from him than we've learned so far? Yes, we can learn. Learn the unforced forced rhythms of grace. Learning takes time. Learning takes experience. And learning takes opportunities. I think one of the things that um, has struck me um, is when people begin with the Lord, but they don't stay with the Lord. They don't give him enough time to prove himself. And he really does want to prove himself to us. I know there's this can be this just raw thing of believe the word. Um, but sometimes that's not very organic. We need to have a very organic, real relationship with God. And he wants us to learn how to trust him because Jesus is trustworthy. He watches over us when we're aware that he is. And he watches over us when we aren't so aware. He clearly promises in Hebrews 13, 5, uh, to never leave us or forsake us. And that's actually a quote out of Deuteronomy. But what he is saying is, I will never be slack to watch over you or I'll never abandon you. And I think that's where faith and trust enter the picture because there are times things happen where we, we don't feel watched over and we do feel abandoned. How many of you have felt some of that before? You have felt that. Um, and I think what we're going to recognize, it's moments like those to where we need to know how to trust him all the more. And we're going to have moments like that. Mama said there'd be days like that. There'd be days like that, Mama said. An old song from 1902, maybe, I don't know. But um, that's the purpose of trust and faith is you're going to need it for confusing situations. 
that you quote from Proverbs 3 don't understand. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own what? Understanding. So that walking with God messes with our minds. Walking with the Lord really does. And I want to tell, um, I want to tell a couple of stories, um, from, from my journey with the Lord. Early one morning, um, I believe the Lord began to communicate with me. Actually, this was just, uh, last week. And as I was waking up, I felt like the Lord said to me this little phrase, I watch over your soul. I watch over your soul. Well, that was very comforting to me because I have trouble with my soul. How many of you have soul trouble? What is your soul? Well, um, Vivian just mentioned it's your mind, your emotion, and your will. If it weren't for trouble in my mind or my emotions or what I was willing or not willing to do, I would be fine. <laughs> However, <laughs> I continue to have all three of those parts to my being. But what does it mean, watch over your soul? I don't believe it just means like your eternal soul, like where you go when you die, although that's certainly part of it. But soul in the Bible refers to what I've mentioned. It's come up a couple of times now, mind, emotions, and will. And Jesus was encouraging me to know he was watching over me in all of those areas. Some mornings when I wake up, I can wake up troubled. Whoever wakes up troubled, and there's no reason for it. Yes, well, welcome to a fallen world, huh? Well, consider Psalm 23, first three verses, in the context in the word meaning soul. How does that start? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. What does he do? He restores my soul. He restores my soul. And that was the point I wanted to make. Now, the, the strangest thing about Psalm 23, some commentators believe David wrote this psalm when Absalom had stolen his kingdom and David was basically barefoot and destitute, fleeing Jerusalem from his life. And historians say he wrote this going down through uh, the mountain there, I think right through the Mount of Olives where Jesus' final prayer was. Afraid for his life. Didn't know if he's going to make it. Didn't know if his men was going to make it. So what is he saying? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And there's this reality about walking with God is sometimes our faith and our confession have to be an exact opposite of our condition. We'll have days like that too. I think some of we know that. But the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is our shepherd, says he will restore our soul. The great shepherd of the sheep, the God of creation, promises to take a personal interest in each of us, personal interest in our minds, our emotions, and our will. Some of the times when we're struggling to hold it together, 
the struggle to hold it together is actually hurting the ability to be together. How many of you can follow that? Sometimes we need to rest instead of fight. It says in the book of Hebrews, our primary work is to labor to enter into God's rest, to that place of trust, to that place where you're not earning something God freely gave you when you were born again. You're a child. You're a son. You're a daughter. You'll always be a child or a son or a daughter to the Lord. And um, we, we need to think of that. But um, this Psalm 23 is an encouragement and a promise from the Lord to help us in every imaginable way, as I mentioned, in our minds and our emotions and our will. He restores my soul can also be translated, he fetches back my vitality. How many of you need some vitality fetched back? Anybody in here in the I need vitality fetched back category? Why don't we say this? He fetches back my vitality. He restores my soul. I can't restore my own soul, but he can, and he says he will. And if we learn of him, that will be our experience. I was um, also reading Isaiah 40, verses 27 through 31, and this was actually part of the first song we sang this morning. I thought um, this is just a confirmation of what the Lord's saying to us. Verse 27 starts out this way. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God. What would you call that? A complaint? Yeah. So Isaiah is, um, through the word of the Lord, addressing a complaint. And here's what he has to say. Have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. And there are some promises. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So the idea here of waiting on the Lord could be equal to following Jesus, seriously following Jesus. And I, I notice the human condition here. Here's a person in distress who feels neglected by the Lord. They feel neglected and they say so. And so the Lord says, why do you say that? And then he reminds them of who he is that he's never tired. Oh, my goodness. Let me say this. God is never tired. God is never weary. If we would consider, oh, I think about the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now, that can be a perfunctory prayer. Everybody prays together. Or there can be a revelation in that. When you hallow the name of God, in other words, when you open yourself up 
to the greatness and majesty of God, he begins to seep into your soul some of himself. Do you understand what I'm saying? Focus is so important. When you hallow the name of the Lord, the Lord can, can make you see his majesty. And so he reminds us of who he is, that he's never tired, he's never weary, that he gives power to the weak and increases strength to those who have no might. And then he gives us the process of how to receive that power and strength. It's by waiting upon him. Now, let me make a distinction. It's not waiting for him. It's not just marking time till he comes through for you. But it's waiting on him. And wait here contains the meaning to trust in, to hope in, and to long for. And it is actually a word picture of a vine entwining itself around a branch. And so to wait on the Lord is to connect yourself to him relationally any way you know how. And it means to be expectant or focused even, um, yes, that's what it means to wait on the Lord. Wrap yourself around him. Now let's go back to Psalm 23 for a second. Many of us need him to fetch back our vitality, and he promises to do it if we'll cooperate with him and follow him as sheep following a shepherd. I was also thinking, and I read this recently, he leads me beside the still waters. Let me say that again. Think about this. He leads me beside the still waters. How many of you have ever looked into water so still you see your own reflection? Well, one commentator wrote, those waters in Psalm 23 are God's still waters. And when you look into God's still waters, the reflection you begin to see is him in us. We begin to see that all that he is, he gives to us. We're changed. Paul mentions something similar in 2 Corinthians in chapter 3. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. And so this idea of an unveiled face goes back to the story of Moses meeting God in the mount way back there in uh, Exodus and... Moses' encounter with the Lord is so potent, he begins to glow. His face begins to glow. And so Moses veils his face. Now, if you can hear this, in the New Testament, it talks about the gospel being veiled to those who don't believe. And so there's a reality that the veil we have between us and the Lord can actually be a legalism. Legalism, trying to earn your help from God, can actually become a veil in your mind that separates you from knowing knowing his goodness. So if you can take off the veil of trying to earn God's help, 
It's available. Relax and receive. Let me leave this with you this morning. And I don't mean I'm closing. I'm just getting warmed up. <laughs> but relax and receive. Take off the veil. Quit trying so hard. Wrap yourself up in God. We can't earn his help. He gives it freely. Now, who? Part of my Christian life has been tragic. I've often wondered. Jesus says, take up my cross. That's a horrible thing for Jesus to say. Because crucifixion was horrible. And yet Jesus would say to follow him, we have to take up our cross and do that, follow him. And I think part of the meaning of that, and I think it's probably deeper than I understand, but part of Jesus' meaning is that we're going to have problems, challenges, things that go on in our life that the only way we can actually benefit from it, make our way through it, is embrace them. It's just all there is to it. We have to take them up. Well, I have always had trouble trusting God. And I've had some very terribly emotional, stressful places in my life. I once went through a time where my stress level was so high that I began to have panic attacks. I was a traveling salesman at the time, and I had a panic attack on, a panic attack on the interstate. And I thought, I'm just going to park the car and call Donna, tell her to come pick me up. Anybody ever felt that way? But there were several problems. It was pre-cell phone, and I didn't have a phone, so I was going to have to keep going. But panic attacks are terrible. They're, they're frightening. And I began to have a series of them at one point. And so at a given point, the Lord asked me this question. He said, Robin, what are you afraid of? And I said, I'm afraid I'm going to lose my mind. Anybody ever felt that way? Yeah. I said, I'm afraid I'm going to lose my mind. And he instantly responded, oh, I won't let you. <laughs> I thought it was all up to me to lose my mind. <laughs> but he said, no, I'm, I'm not going to let you. See, I began to realize I could trust him. He was bringing me into new levels of trust. And from that moment, I began to trust him more, and it relieved a lot of my anxiety as I began to, to, to see how much the Lord really cared about me. I want to talk about this idea of the Lord being our keeper. The Lord is my keeper. Let's say that together. The Lord is my keeper. I discovered over the years that I have a keeper. See, my keeper was telling me he was going to keep me. He wasn't going to let me lose my mind. It sort of makes me laugh to think, of that because animals in the zoo have keepers. Animals in the zoo have keepers. Well, I have a keeper too. And, and the truth is there's a certain idea 
that he keeps us in a cage. He does keep things from us. And sometimes, although we don't like it, he keeps us from some things we want. But the Lord is my keeper. I have a keeper. You have a keeper. We all have a keeper, and his name is Jesus. And Psalm 23 told us that we have a shepherd, but Psalm 121 tells us we also have a keeper. And our keeper is a shepherd. And that shepherd is the God of the universe. So I want us to look at Psalm 121. And over the years, this psalm has become one of my favorites and maybe one of the most important psalms and for reasons I can't get into this morning. But I want to read this psalm, verse 1. I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved, but he who keeps you will not slumber. Verse 4, behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. Third time he mentioned it. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. That word preserve is the exact same word for keep. That would be the fourth time that word shows up in Psalm 121. The Lord shall keep you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. There it is again. He shall keep your soul. Psalm 23, he'll restore it. Psalm 121, he'll preserve it. And this is rehearsed over and over and over in the Bible because we need to be reminded. He'll keep you. He'll preserve you. And uh, uh, again, in verse 8, the Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth even forevermore. Psalm 121.5, the Lord is your keeper. I have a keeper. Let me tell you about my keeper. My keeper, my keeper, <laughs> my, my keeper has a sense of humor. Does your keeper have a sense of humor? Yeah, if I was a monkey in the zoo, my keeper would be coming up, giving me food and telling me jokes. No, that's okay. But my keeper has a sense of humor, and I didn't realize it. Uh, it was quite frightening experience, but at the end of it, I laughed. But being my keeper, one who watches over me, began to be made real to me many years ago. For a number of years, I was in business, and I traveled uh, the two Carolinas. One night, I was in a downtown Asheville, North Carolina hotel, sound asleep by myself. Let me make that point again. Sound asleep by myself, suddenly someone, or I thought something, grabbed my foot and shook it until I woke up. And I was scared. And I was quite sure I wasn't dreaming, which made it even scarier. And I was quite startled, to say the least. I didn't see anybody in the room. 
And then the Lord spoke to me and told me to read Psalm 121. So I got up, I read my Bible, trying to clear my head and not feel demonized. And I read, he will not suffer your foot to be moved. What? He that keeps you will not sleep. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. Oh, my. All of this reinforces the idea of the Lord strengthening and enabling us to become strong internally because he says he will keep us. He will keep our soul. As we learn to trust Jesus, he's going to strengthen our minds stabilize our emotions, fortify our wills to live and do the things we should. But the Lord initiated this unusual prophetic kind of experience to encourage me again to trust him more and more. He woke me up to remind me that he never sleeps. And he did it in a way where he shook my foot and then gave me a verse that he will never Suffer my foot to be moved. If that's not pretty funny, I don't know. But I love a God like that. But it make you nervous. <laughs> makes you a little nervous sometimes. But I'm all for supernatural experiences when the Lord's in them. How about you? Come on. Now, I think I've mentioned, and I'm sure I've mentioned this next uh, story. Um, during those times I worked as a salesman, I would spend um, hours in the car, and I would listen to Bible teachers on the radio as I drove. How many of you used to listen to Christian, you know, they got bad. I don't do it anymore. I don't like them that much, but. I, that's, I didn't say that. That was somebody else. Um, but <laughs> one morning I was listening to J. Vernon McGee. Anybody ever heard of J. Vernon McGee? He was sort of a country talking character. But anyway, I was listening to old J. Vernon. He was having at it. And as I was listening to him, I, I was on Independence Boulevard and I drove up behind this, uh, some kind of a dirty transfer kind of truck. And I noticed on the back of the truck, as I was sitting there looking at it, someone had written with their finger test on one of those pull down doors. So it was test. So I was looking at that word test and I had this inner sense that the Lord was speaking to me, which is not a thing you want him to be saying to you. I knew a test was imminent, and the Lord was alerting me so I could pass it. Now, as I was looking at that word and having that thought, good old J. Vernon McGee quoted Isaiah 46, 1 through 4, and then followed it with some commentary. So this is what Isaiah 46, 1 through 4 says. Bell, that's an idol bows down, Nebo, that's an idol, stoops, 
their idols were on the beast and on the cattle. Now, this is really vital scripture. Everybody tracking with me so far here? Of course not. Your carriages were heavily loaded, a burden to the weary beast. They stooped, they bowed down together. They could not deliver the burden, but have themselves gone into captivity. So Isaiah is giving a picture here of what happens to people who worship idols. Then he says, listen to me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel who have been upheld by me from birth, who have been carried from the womb. Even to your old age, I am he. And even to gray hairs, anybody got some of those? I will carry you. I have made and I will bear, even I will carry and will deliver you. So then, say good old Jay Vernon, then good old Jay Vernon said, many people try to carry and support God. The heathen carry their idols and are greatly burdened by them just as the prophet Isaiah reports. But the true God wants to carry us. Let me say that. Anybody excited about that? But the true God wants to carry us even to our old age, to our gray hairs. Yes, he wants to carry us. Will we let him? And then J. Vernon said, this is the test. And I thought, Oh, the test is to trust. The test is, say that with me. The test is to trust. Labor to rest. And then we had a test. Um, I've mentioned this before, but when Donna was pregnant with our fourth child, her water broke in the middle of the night, and that was in the third month, and normally you would lose that child. And she expected from the natural that she was about to lose the child. But we remembered about the test coming, and the word the Lord gave us from Isaiah 46 to help us there. So we gave the situation to the Lord. We called the doctor in the morning who wanted to see her right away. And when he examined her, there was some evidence that some amniotic fluid had been released, but her measurements still seemed to be the right way. So then later on that month, the Lord spoke to me about the business I was in, and I wrote this down. I've actually got this written down somewhere. And at the end of what he said, he then said this, and as you trust, rest, and trust in me, so shall your child be born without a hitch. Well, Katie was born. She came full term. And I thought about that Isaiah passage many times, I will carry and I will bear, and God did both. The Lord miraculously enabled Donna to carry the child full term. God had intervened. Now, here's a problem. There are times things don't go that way. 
I can remember the phone call I got. I was 30 years old. I got a phone call early in the morning, and here was the message on the end of the line. Your father's had a heart attack. He's on the way to the hospital. Doesn't look good. And I prayed, and he died. I prayed. He didn't make it. I didn't know the last time I saw him that it was the last time I saw him. But here's what we need to recognize. No matter how it turns out, the thing to learn is to trust him. Hosea 6, 3 says, Then shall we know if we follow on to know the Lord. His going forth is prepared as the morning, and he shall come to us as the rain, as the latter and the former rain unto the earth. One of the problems, actually, when when my dad died, um, my heart started hurting. I started having chest pains. And I had... um, unreconciled issues with it. There were things I wanted to talk to my dad about I didn't get to talk to him about. I remember one time I was up in the mountains preaching. I never told anybody that, but the Lord knew. I was up in the mountains preaching after my dad died, and the pastor's wife came to me after one of the meetings, and she said, I believe the Lord has a word for you. And I said, yes, well, what is it? He said, everything you needed to tell your dad, you told him. Everything else I told him. And see, even in the midst of heartache, even in the midst of things not working out the way we want them to work out, I believe here's what we should do. Follow Jesus. Trust in the Lord with all our hearts. Lean not into our own understanding. In all our ways, acknowledge him. And it says, he will make our path straight. He will keep us from stumbling. And I think so many of us have stumbled over the years. But here's what I believe the Lord's saying. I really love you. I I believe this too. The highest level of trust is developed when our expectations don't match our experience and disappointment tries to dominate our emotions. What do we do then? We trust him. We trust him. You know, when we're all gone and we're in heaven, however that works, or when Jesus comes back, Sets up his kingdom here. You know, everybody's got different ideas about that. But there's something very clear in the scripture. There is a moment in time. There's a moment in time. There's an experience where every tear has been dried up. And every sorrow and every heartache has been healed. But up until... That time, 
we have opportunities to trust God no matter what happens and decide not to lean on our own understanding and to continue to acknowledge him all our ways and we will begin to see no matter what happened that he was going to direct our paths even through dark nights of the soul, even through times of confusion and experiences that may even break our hearts. But Psalm 121 begins this way. I will lift up my eyes unto the hills from whence comes my help. And actually lifting up your eyes and from whence comes my help are two expressions and not one. The first one in Psalm 121 is saying this, I am going to look above the natural realm for my solutions when I can find none here. Because where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Amen. Is that okay? We good? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray. Why don't we stand together? Let me pray. You know, one of the Old Testament verses says that the Lord is my trust. Let's say that together. The Lord is my trust. And so when you can't trust him... He's going to trust himself on your behalf until you can. That's what I believe about the grace of God. It's never too late. It's only almost working. Trust in the Lord. Let's say this together. I will trust in the Lord. I will stop leaning on my own understanding. In all my ways, I'll acknowledge you. And you shall guard my steps. You shall watch my path. You shall lead me. You shall guide me. You shall care for me. Father, in the name of Jesus, we have great victories and we have heartache, heartbreak, so-called defeats. But Lord, here we are. You're our solution. On the cross, everything that needed to happen to make things right happened. Any debt that needed to be paid, you paid. Any wall that needed to be broken down, you broke it down. Any separation that may or may not have been there, whether it was real or imaginary, you broke through. Lord Jesus, you're our answer. You're the one we live for. And we ask you this morning that you would... Lead us beside still waters, that you would restore our souls, that you would fetch back our vitality. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.